Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. You leave your body a little more each day to make everyone else safe. You are white, they think. This program features the work of 2018 writer Natasha Money. She discussed her work with curator Damon Arundel. Natasha, would you begin by just telling us about your project and why you sought out being a Jack Straw writer? Sure. My project is called As a Dark Bird in a Light Egg. It's a hybrid collection of poetry and creative nonfiction, and it's examining what it means to be one thing within another. I live between two worlds and in more than two worlds. My father's from India. My mother's from Holland. Mm -hmm. I was born in the north, raised in the south. Uh, My family is allopathic, and I'm a naturopathic doctor. Oh, yeah, you're all over the place. <laughs> so um, this this kind of where do I belong, how mm. do I fit, mm-hmm. and the title is is about living as a person who is fair-skinned mm-hmm. who, but who is of all these different cultures. There was a time in my life when I was actually um, more dark, and so it's inhabiting these two worlds, and who am I within all of these worlds? Mm-hmm. Would you say that your work has often kind of bridge the gap or has been kind of weaving between different genres or is that something that's been coming up more recently? I would say it's coming up more recently. In regards to me, I'd say I'm always bridging a gap. I don't have an MFA. I don't have any degrees in anything literary. Mm -hmm. I was part of a poetry workshop here in Kitsap County for over 10 years with Mm -hmm. some extraordinary poets who just pushed me, you know, Mm -hmm. further in my work and publication. Um, But I feel like this world is very insulated, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate spoken word poets. I appreciate, you know, poets who would be considered academic, whatever the camp is. I don't feel like I fall into any of these categories. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be part of something that would embrace all of it, that would expose me to writers that maybe I I never would have had the chance of meeting before. Mm How would you say that your work either addresses or challenges the status quo? You know, I'm not sure that it does. I don't know what status quo is anymore Mm -hmm. in writing because I look at, you know, my literary heroes like Claudia Rankin and what Mm -hmm. she's done, which Mm -hmm. is so impressive. And um, I'm seeing this call from small publishers to embrace, you know, novellas again and hybrid collections. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that I could say I'm doing anything different. I think that uh, we are just more willing to listen to not put things in categories right mm-hmm. now. Um, so I, I don't know how I'm uh, pushing that status quo. Now, there, there is one thing that I am very aware that I'm doing in my work, whether it's fiction, creative nonfiction, poetry, as someone who writes a lot about coming from these various cultures. Mm-hmm. That is important to me, but I also think it's equally important to be able to write whatever you feel, whatever topic matter, and to, in this uh, fiction project that I just completed my first novel mm-hmm. over the last year, and 
I uh, created a character very similar to me, mm -hmm. half Dutch, half Indian. Mm -hmm. But it was very important to me that the book didn't address race directly. Mm -hmm. um, as a dark bird in a light egg is the opposite end of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel we should also just embrace our ability to write these characters who are not white mm -hmm. and just have them go through their lives mm -hmm. and not have it always be a question about how this is related to their race. Let's, if you wouldn't mind, let's have you share uh, a piece. Sure. This is a poem that I originally wrote when I started naturopathic medical school. It was not meant to be a political poem, but now in light of everything that's going on in our country, it feels very necessary. And I read this at a couple of the Writers Resist events because the first thing I do, I think, as a person who's always looking for where do I belong, mm -hmm. is even in a classroom or a new um, a new year of uh, school, I look around and I see who, who do I belong to. Mm -hmm. And there was this group that formed in the back of the auditorium, um, and uh, we began to call ourselves a country. And we just felt like we belonged to each other. And mm. then I thought about this concept, and I and I wrote a poem, and I began to think about this even more so. And with everything that's going on, I think we need to make alliances with people who we feel safe with within mm. this country. And that mm. it's not because we have someone uh, who calls himself our president. <laughs> uh, we can still call this our country, mm -hmm. even though all of these insane events are happening mm -hmm. and people are being threatened in so many ways. And if my parents had tried to immigrate now, <laughs> they probably would not have happened. Um, so uh, I believe this poem now speaks to the current state too. And the opening line is also the title of the poem. Then we began to call ourselves a country. It was bold but not without reason. For how long may we pretend we aren't our own within another? The man on a tractor delivering hay sings for himself. The rattler sunning minds his own. We watch our step. The dark horse carries on in the heated an eye toward eventual. The sheep commence their ascent toward a belief of richer. We take the occasional Along a hill we've never to find our heels once more. Wow, thank you for that. I love the line, how long may we pretend? Can you speak to that a little bit? I think it really relates to the next line, how you know, how long may we pretend we aren't our own within mm. another Again, it's this, it's this feeling of belonging, like how do I belong inside myself? Mm -hmm. And then how, you know, depending on what your belief system is, how do we belong to one another? Right. Whether it's a country or whether it's just as humanity. Mm -hmm. um, how do we fit in this country together? How yeah. do we all call this our country? Mm -hmm. Those are heavy questions. It's often said that art is either asking or answering the question who are you? How does that apply to your work? 
I think it's everywhere in my work. I mean, it's it's all about, you know, how do I inhabit these multiple worlds and what does it mean, you know, to be first-generation American, mm-hmm. which I feel is very different um, than, you know, as someone who has been here uh, longer because you – you're always tied to those cultures, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there's always a part of me that's deeply Indian, whether people can see it or not, mm-hmm. deeply Dutch. And uh, regardless of the fact that I did not appreciate living in the South, you know, mm-hmm. there's part of me that's deeply impressed by that experience. And mm-hmm. authors such as Flannery O'Connor, I mean, that's in you. Mm-hmm. So I think I am always asking the question, who am I? Where do I belong? And... Where's home? Now we'll hear a selection from Natasha's live reading. You are white, they think. Your race is in the room, and it is threatening. No one can see it to name it. They claim you're like them because it makes the conversation comfortable. Someone discusses the world war and everyone shuts up. It's a white man, a good white man. He talks of another's family, how her relatives were captured. Everyone is mesmerized by the good white man. This conversation of epigenetics and how this descendant was afflicted. You think of your own Dutch grandfather, part of the resistance. How he trained for the 11 city tour while Rotterdam prepared to burn. How your great uncles, captured by Nazis, all escaped alive. How your opa managed a consistent Houdini act out the balcony window, down a rope into the courtyard during the raids that lined the father's sons alongside a church for execution, sometimes before their pregnant wives. But you are here in your medical school again, and everyone is practicing empathy. (laughs) Except it's not. Empathy is born of experience, and no one is interested in yours. It is so close that they could brush up against it, knock its coffee over, have it spill into their morning, and they are not prepared for this. If you bring up your personal history, go to page 13. Spoiler alert, this page is blank as the reflection on the faces of your supervisors, peers, as they redirect the conversation to them and their feelings. If you continue to sip your coffee, proceed. The guy who does does not wear the kilt at school, the one who implies you should go get a drink with him even though you have a boyfriend, the guy who always reminds you of the time you accidentally revealed too much on a morning shift because the necessity to keep your stories in check at all times becomes overwhelming. This one asks if you know how much you discuss your cultures. Is it the only thing that matters to you? He asks, while he is or is not wearing anything below the belt. (laughs) You are in the same room as the one with the good white man. 
There are several good white men this morning. Another one speaks of the tsunami, an incredible story of spirit, bravery, a lesson on surrender. This, the topic seconds after the exploration of Holocaust. You remember that Christmas, how the lines were dead for days as your dad called home to Kerala to ascertain whether your family was. You are Indian. You are half Indian. Eventually you will learn. Your family survived the waves vacationing on the shore. They fled. 300,000 went missing. On the very white island where you live, they cobbled together a tsunami relief effort. No one, to your knowledge, invites you or any Indian South Asian writer to read at this event. The white people are thinking of those in Sri Lanka, India. No one is thinking of you. You leave your body a little more each day to make everyone else safe. You are white, they think. If you tell them you aren't, they walk around you in circles, they ask for proof. You say you love proofs, as in geometry. If you flip through your iPhone to locate a photo of you when your melanin was expressing, turn to page 40. Cue, oh my God, how is that you? Cue your further departure. If you call out this microaggression, flip to page one, prepare for, I don't understand, I'm just telling you the truth, you don't look Indian. If you have the energy to explain how there was a thought below this thought, and they really should examine their thoughts before they speak. <laughs> flip to page 13. Yes, page 13, it is always about them and their feelings. They are thinking of their recent trip they took to Indonesia. They are charming the room with Bali. Stories of abject poverty they experienced on a layover. <laughs> they do not want to hear about your grandmother. They want to show you snaps of themselves dressed up in saris with bindis, how they have fresh henna. See how much they love you so much that some of them have assumed Indian names. Everyone will call them this, their chosen Indian name out of respect. This is love. They swear. They swear and you are white, like they. They say this. Hey, don't you know it's rude not to listen when they are speaking? They're always speaking. <laughs> So I don't know if y'all, I know a lot of you are writers, have ever written something and it's like come out so easily that you start Googling obsessively and you're like, fuck, did I, did I lift this from somewhere? That never happens to me. <laughs> I'm going to read two short poems and they're from that experience. When I was younger, I was a lot darker, but I was never thought of as Indian. I was mistaken for Native American, so I've never really been considered what I actually am. So I wrote a poem about an experience of when I was younger and darker and then when everyone else, um, well, everyone thinks I'm white. When I was a brown girl, the sun always, the sun on me like butter to your morning toast. 
I noticed you, never noticed me. When you thought I was a white girl, this page left intentionally blank. Blanket, this whiteness, this girl, you thought, you thought, you thought. This blankness left of intentional. I've been um, experimenting with math. Thank you. <laughs> I'm only going to read one of the experiments with math because there's a lot of variables. And <laughs> I'm sure you can all hold them in your head and tell me that maybe I made the problem incorrect at the end. I don't know. <laughs> but we're going to try one of them. It's called Good For You. Good for you. Z equals 1, where Z equals chance is allowed to solve Y. Y equals unknown, where Y equals race. N equals 1, where N equals manager of swanky Indian restaurant. X equals 2, where X equals number of times congratulated on whiteness. U equals 1, where U equals you, as in good for you. <laughs> Problem one, solve for y of n. Problem two, solve for y of u. I'm going to read two more poems. This one, um, I don't write many persona poems, but this one is after Mindy Lahiri. <laughs> from the Mindy Project, <laughs> and ABCD refers to American-born confused Daisy. We have all been that woman at the bottom of the pool after the wedding that was never meant to happen, the one on our office floor never minding when it last met a vacuum. We eat bear claws on the regular, hoping sugar might buffer injury. Don't remind us about the properties of glucose, Acidic is that running commentary on how we'll never fit into a supermodel's dress. Zero has nothing on us. It isn't even a real number. <laughs> we are one. First generation. We're Indian. We're American. Don't even mention ABCD unless you want to talk about the movie. Remember that bit about Ellis Island in the land of the free? Neither do we, but we dream. Yes, we dream. We're doctors, moms, enterprising daughters of immigrants. We graduate, have families now, or maybe later, baby. We disappoint our aunties. We are here watching you watch us, but not in that creepy horror movie way. Like you, we write, rewrite our desires. Plus, we do it in something strappy. <laughs> while being frisked for the right to re-enter our own birth country. And I'm going to close with a poem that was about the L exhibit that happened in Seattle about six years ago. At the L exhibit, we find ourselves adjacent. We aren't the woman exposed, wads of juicy fruit plied across any possible crevasse. Nor are we the expose, a liberated country of limbs, nude and flexing for release. Rather, an avenue of tea we might have inherited. Between this and the silver boat, a gaggle of gloves ready for propulsion. Thank you.
Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2018 curator of this program is Damon Arundel. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther. Recording engineers are Ayesha Ubiatilaka, Daniel Gunther, and Joel Maddox. Narrator is Alyssa Keene, and executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by Amy Rubin and Don Clement, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Larry Lawrence. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. Thank you for listening.